Okay, we're currently recording now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Expressions of Wisdom podcast. It's Jacob here, and I'm with a very special guest, Marcus Kader. He's a 27-year-old man. He's a screenwriter who's just recently graduated from a Master's of Screenwriters in, at, from Afters. He teaches and tutors high school English. Um, his focus is very much on the passion of creative writing for critical inquiry and self-examination. He's loved music from a very early age. Um, he's got many influences from his family and he's slowly learning Arabic um, and Polish and his dream is to fluently speak that. Um, when he's not creating and reflecting deeply, you'll see him carving up the dance floor, partying and connecting with everyone in the venue. He's just that kind of guy. And I'm absolutely over the moon and excited to have him in this conversation today. Um, before we get started, Marcus, I just wanted to share that the, the most recent um, interaction I've had with Marcus was watching him put together um, his script. And, and it was a live reading of his script. And it was one of the most enchanting and exciting and creative experiences that I'd been a part of. And it really inspired me and gave me a really deep look into the creative process. So Marcus, without further ado, what is wisdom to you? Hey, Jacob. <laughs> Thank you for a um, generous intro. Before I answer that question, I think I should very quickly say that a very close friend, Laura, she, um, she introduced me to an expression that is a dancer expression, game, rec recognize game. And it's something that if at an event, someone sees someone on the other side of the dance floor and they're both moving in the same way or they both laughed at the same thing and they happen to recognize it in each other. The expression, the facial expression that corresponds with game, recognize game is like that. And I think that everything you described about connecting with people on a dance floor is a, is a case of game, recognize game. I think you, um, I think you're picking up in me, hopefully what you can do very well. So I want to say, yeah, I want to say that, that that's not something that's exclusive um, to me. And it's something that I've, I've worked hard on because also I, naturally I'm quite self-doubting and shy and um but you you I could describe you in the same way um so back at you the question was what wisdom is to me yeah that's actually I I um that's amusing because it was about 10 12 years ago I can't remember exactly, but I know that the book came out in 2008, but there's a book called Wisdom by Andrew Zuckerman and he's a photographer and the book is quite large. It's a coffee table book. And that's my first Seinfeld reference, um, by the way, um, <laughs> but for this, for this, so people who know Seinfeld will know exactly what character I'm referring to when I say coffee table book, but Wisdom is a book where Andrew Zuckerman and he partnered with Desmond Tutu, the South African um, Anglican Archbishop, and he traveled around the world with a really good camera setup. And he photographed, I think they were people, he, he photographed 50 people over the age of 65 
and just ask them about what wisdom is to them or their experience or their just based on their field so he spoke to scientists and politicians and actors and and it is a book it's a big white book called wisdom and they're photographed beautifully and I was in high when I saw that in high school I don't know why I just I asked for it as a gift for my birthday because I became obsessed with the idea of elderly people um in a being beautifully photographed and being interviewed about their um view and I read one a day before school and some are short like the Nelson Mandela um page is quite short whereas um yeah some are very long some are some run over pages and I think at that I think that actually set in motion a obsession that I have with storytelling between generations where there's a young character and an old character who are paired which I naturally am drawn to and I think I'm drawn to it because listening to older people for me is wisdom um listening and not just oh yeah there's an elderly person who's speaking and they've lived a long life so they know more than me and I should give them respect but actually listening to what they have to to what they're saying and then reflecting on why are they saying what they're saying what ex- understanding what experiences in their life have led to them having opinions that are shaped in that way and the more I can understand about that the more that I can anticipate potentially my paths through life and how certain things will impact me so I think deeply listening to older people is for me wisdom and not accepting everything that they have to say but deeply uh deeply listening in almost the um, I know this is a bit of a rambling answer but almost in a way that um, the elder in a small tribe, in a traditionally formed small tribe of humans, the elders are very visible and their wisdom is very accessible. I um, think that in our big globalised society, it's a bit harder to see where elders are because literally old people are put in aged care homes and, um, uh, and our and our politicians tend to be the worst type of older person just because of what um, uh, what that system requires of its candidates. So listening to old listening to older people is how I would answer that question. Okay, beautiful. Marcus, may I ask, how does I think you, you said the word deep deep listening? How does one deeply listen? Well, on a practical level, you've actually just demonstrated it. Picking up a de- picking up a detail that's somehow resonant with you that you want to know more about and following it through. So practically, that's <laughs> Jacob Bulos 101 on how to deeply <laughs> step one. Um, I, uh, I, I think that the first thing is trying as much as possible to catch yourself listening judgmentally. So, so listening judgmentally might be being in the two halves of your mind. One half is listening and the other half is already formulating the response. I think that's a barrier to deep listening. I think deep listening is in, tends to be harder in a group because there are different paces of conversation. 
and I know I struggle with that. I, I had a, quite a significant stutter when I was growing up. My dad had much more of a serious one. So both of us, um, and I'm quite close with him, both of us are similar in that we tend towards one-on-one -on -one conversation where I feel that deep listening is easier. Letting someone finish their thought, which can be hard when you're passionate. Letting someone finish their thought um, and uh, listening also for what is, this is the big one for me, listening for what might be under the surface. So for example, why are they, if it's a stranger that I've just met, why are they saying this to me? Why are they repeating this? Um, uh, what is about this that's important for them? So if, if they're telling me something that's not necessarily something I agree with, but they're making a real point of it, um, how should I meet them there? And all of this sounds very analytical and very um, distanced from the person, which is not it at all. Deep, ultimately, deep listening is just like that the person who's speaking is your sole focus. Um, and naturally, you become curious about why they're saying what they're saying. So openness and curiosity, but focus would be the three aspects of deep listening that I would identify. That's a that's a really beautiful um, explanation. I, I resonate with quite a few of those points there, actually. You um, give, yeah, I have to say, you give very good eye contact in conversation and you can do that even when there's a lot of people around. And that's a pretty good marker of... That's that's a pretty good marker of what is what deep listening, what allows for deep listening. It's Thanks, Marcus. Like, yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Hmm. I um, we it, before before we started this recording, Marcus and I were already having a rich uh, conversation. We couldn't help ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Um, zero to one hundred. Yeah, straight up. There was something Marcus said that really struck me. And as you said, resonated um, with me. It was something about connection and, and passion. Um, Marcus, could you, could you speak towards that? I'd really love your perspective on that. Sure, sure. Um, I know that I gravitate towards people who are passionate about something which is not to say that everyone should immediately know what a passion is because it's what a passion is can have many complicated, I think, inputs and outputs. Um, for example, for me, I know that uh, writing for the screen is something and writing in general and storytelling is something that I'm passionate about. And there are reasons for that. One, one of the reasons, a very superficial reason is that the acknowledgement that comes from a story that lands is a really big feeling for me. And that's, you could cynically say that that's quite attention seeking. So passion in that way, you could, you could take a negative view of why someone pours so much energy into something. But the positive side is that for me, passion, a passion really should I approach passion consciously reminding myself that it's of service. So I sacrifice my time and the vast majority of my, my contribution to my own passion in writing, which I, which I 
actively begun in 2004, I was 10. And pretty much all the time I've spent writing before school, during school, after school, during uni, um, when I'm when I'm overseas, when I'm in the car, like all of this time, largely up till now, this has been um, uh, self, this has been time where I've done something that has had, that has yielded no financial gain at all. And may and hopefully potentially will in the future, I'd like to be self-sufficient on the back of my passion. That would be quite, quite convenient. Um, but that's a long process. Why I'm, um, why I think I'm drawn to, why I think I connect with people who are more overtly passionate about something, which doesn't mean loud, by the way. It just means that they're, they love telling you about something that they care about. Um, why I, because I can relate to that from my own experience, but also I really want to care about something you care about. And I, I fundamentally think that the world is beautiful, bizarre, very playful. Nature is very playful. It can, it's very absurd and, and absurd, not in the sense that um, it's meaningless, which some people can easily make the argument for. Not for me, I'm quite a religious, spiritual person. Um, but all of these things that I observe in the natural environment, I think, how could you not, how could you live in a way where you don't love something or where you're not curious about something? How, for example, tapestry, for example, how did tapestry come about? And how is um, Persian tapestry different from, um, uh, different from Incan tapestry or, or like, why does this, why does this person hate poached eggs where this person lives for poached eggs and will only order poached eggs at a cafe and thinks that they're terrific. And, and um, a, a few weeks ago tried out putting chili flakes on them, like this stuff. Like I, I think that the world is so full of little pops that I want to know what, what makes you pop. And that's what is, that's, that makes for good conversation. I don't want to talk about the weather and, and how fast time has gone and, and the stuff that's on the news that is arguably not news at all, but just excuses for commercials. Like I want to know what, what gives you life. And that for me is really good connection. So um, if people know what they're, if there's something that makes people laugh or something that people, so person A, if person A has something that either they do, makes them laugh, they come back to regularly, they're slightly embarrassed talking about, those things for me are really, really good hints of, oh, that's your passion. That's your passion. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Like, put the drink down. Don't worry about whatever, what everyone else is doing. Like, tell me what, you really, what you're really enthusiastic about. I want to hear it. That's, that's, for me, passion and connection go go together very much. And one last point, um, I actually have worked on for a couple of years, not for a while, but for a couple of years, I was working on an independent documentary pod project called Passion Project. And it was when my sister was alive and she took part in it. And I'm really thankful for that.
she um uh and many uh many people who own food businesses in sydney were the people who i were interview with the people who i was interviewing and the word passion i learned over the course of shooting that the latin root of the word passio means to suffer suffering and that for me is fascinating it's it it is that you love something so much that it brings you pain and that i just think is such a beautiful idea um so intellectually passion for me is a sick idea as well it's just badass wow wow oh just gonna let that land for a bit it's big you know it's big our capacity to our capacity to be passionate is um you can see hints of it in the animal kingdom um and but it's very the expression of it the human expression of it is so diverse and complex and leads to war but also leads to concerts and um it's like it's just captivating to me marcus what is it about or behind passion that the human being desires why why do we want to feel passion mm. yeah oh. i think there's risk associated with it i think um have you seen the documentary free solo of the yeah it's fine yeah. though to the yeah 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 the the um free soloists um i think that yeah you if if you're a free soloist you um you're a climber but without harnesses and i watched this is a, a, this is of um this really is of no interest to me in terms of what i would like to do with my time but when i but i the level of risk taking is um hypnotizing and when i watched that documentary which i had so many people saying oh you've got to see this documentary you've got to see this you've got to just drop everything and see this and doing film you hear that all the time and you get a bit i get a bit desensitized to it my response is okay why like don't don't tell me i have to see it like describe what about it i need to see but the um the guy whose name i forget you could just see it's not a new thing that i picked up i've noticed it before but when he was on the wall but it was just an exaggerated version of it when he was on the wall every part of him needed to just be focusing on where his hand was placed because it could be life and death and that's the addiction the addiction it's not actually what he's doing which i'm sure he loves but i think it's his addiction to the fact that that presence eliminates everything else in life that's going on in his mind when he's in daily in his daily existence so he's not thinking about bills he's not thinking about insurance or about the rising price of petrol or that um or his he said something to a family member and it hurt them or whatever the the stresses of life completely go and he's in the zone 
And I think that passion can, passion, when someone has a passion and there are um, moments where they enter the zone with it, um, that is, that's why I think that so many humans um, through time have uh, developed something that they're really good at because you can, you almost slip into your own, you, you slip into your own um, psychedelic hypnosis where there's no time and there's no other anything. And in a complex world, like in a very complex world with all these big issues that are all, that are always bigger than us, that's very empowering. So I think that's one of the reasons that I think that's one of the reasons. Also, it can be community building. If you're, if you're passionate about, uh, um, if you're passionate about a sports club in a particular um, sport and you follow it, then that's a way to bond with other people and we're social creatures. So that's um, that too. That too, I would say is a big thing that comes into it. Both Marcus, I, I, know. I was going to ask, um, I love, I love that image of, of presence and having all the thoughts stripped away and being bare with reality, that intimacy. Mm. And what I'd like yes. that to contrast to and, and get your perspective on is that we have that, that experience of being in the zone. But what is it about stories for humans? What, what's happening with stories? Well, what does it do for us? And like, what, what's going on there, you know? Can I, can I answer that? Can I ask you something? Okay. Can you, um, can you share a story about a time you did something new? Um, yeah, I, I could. Yeah. Did, or did where you, you experienced something new? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you want me to share or did could you, you share it? Yeah, could you share it? Well, I was currently, I was, I'm, I'm currently at uni studying um, philosophy. Yeah. And randomly out of nowhere came this, um, this, this announcement on one of the pages that I always ignore, always. Um, and I just clicked on it and it said, you know, auditions or auditions for a musical, like a musical. And I've been wanting to do it forever, but I never thought like in university and I've never thought oh, maybe later. But for some reason, I just clicked on it. I went through book the time, auditioned for it. Um, and months later, it's been one of the most beautiful and greatest decisions I made. It's brought me so much life and joy and it's completely new and opened me up to so much parts of reality. So yeah, that's just a little, a little kind of story of doing something new. My God. First of all, congrats. Yeah. That's really mad. Yeah. What's, what's the musical that you, what, what was the specific musical? Um, it's, it's a, like, a, it's a, it's a kind of, it's a student written one. It's a, it's from the ancient history society. It's like a bunch of skits on ancient history. There's a few songs. Um, as for the quality of the musical, I would say it's one of the musicals of all time. <laughs> I'm not going to say what, it, what kind of music. It's a musical of all time. That's what I will say, but it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> that's, that's, thanks for sharing. That's mad. That, that's also, um, that hits big for me because I enjoy singing, but I'm afraid to sing in front of other people. So that's, that's a bit of a kick. Um, you, one thing that I've also been, um, one thing that I have picked up 
in the la over the last few years is the practice of counsel and the practice of there it goes by so many names um counsel is essentially just an amalgam of various traditional practices from um indigenous cultures and everyone has some experience of this um whether consciously or not but counsel is, is a council is a listening circle where you form um a uh you form a circle in a various organization you can do this tomorrow with your family if you wanted but um it's actually something that different organizations are trying to bring to schools workplaces you form a circle potentially before people have meetings you form a circle so it's it's of a symbol of no hierarchy you form a circle there's a centerpiece in the middle of the circle there's a facilitator and the facilitator gives a prompt to everyone in the group like for example share a story about a time where you experienced or started something new and everyone in the circle has an opportunity to share something that comes alive for them voluntarily so if it comes time for jacob to speak and jacob still doesn't have anything he can pass and that's fine it's no problem um so i've i have uh, with this organization through a close mutual friend i have begun practicing and how to facilitate this because it's something that i want to bring to the classroom and it's also something that i think that students should be doing at least once a week because it's a it's an incredible way to indirectly learn about people as people um with many different experiences and you just i mean you just gave me a you really just enriched my life you just gave me a story in a way that holds so much meaning for you and think about all of the various things that you could do in your day the infinite possibilities of choices in any one day but you make a cut you make a choice to spend your time in your head or in my head when i make a choice that's because there's some meaning attached to it and it's a very cause and effect process i think of, i think about food very regularly it's always on my mind like why is that's why is that why is it such a preoccupation for me there's a lot of meaning attached to food and i think that storytelling storytelling uncovers meaning for people and it can reveal meaning to other people and it's a way that we make meaning and it can be bad you people can be a person person like someone can get locked in their own negative story about themselves and that's um the downside of such a powerful superpower that the brain has which is sifting and selecting information and um and ignoring other possibilities because that's the one that's meaningful to you but the positive it's such a powerful assembly um a gathery ga gathering tool for your life to create meaning i think story meaning is meaning is the result of story and it's the result of story you tell yourself story that you tell other people so that's why um that's why that's why i'm interested in it um because we understand yeah i think we understand things on the back of stories and stories can be a story can be little red riding hood or a story can be 
government propaganda. It's a, it's a broad range of categories. So it's, um, an, it's an interesting, interesting area for me. And I think we're also, we innately, humans innately understand what story is if you raise the child in complete isolation and gave them no, um, did not give them any language or any um, exposure to the outside world. I think there's no way of knowing this, but I think that innately that human life would understand what a story is on the back of cause and effect. So I, that child who's in solitary confinement in this horrible experiment, pricks their, puts their fingernail into their hand and it hurts, that's a story. So it's something that we all understand that we can tap into. Wow. Wow. I, I, two questions came to my mind from, from this one. Mm. Can stories change lives? And, and my second question is, why do we love sharing our stories? I know there's probably two different directions or what mm. is going on there. But... Oh, they're great questions. They're great questions, Jacob. Um, I think people like, I'll start in a second. I mean, I think, well, you enjoyed sharing that story about um, the fact that, just that detail, the fact that it's a, not- it's a notice that you've never acted on and you, just, you looked at it and you clicked it and now it's been a really good experience. I liked listening to that as much as you liked sharing it. So I think sharing stories is um, fun. I just think it's fun. And it's a way to have fun. Um, that is, that's one, that's my initial very top level thought about the second question. Um, you're, but the first question I think is more, um, it's, repeat, could you repeat your exact wording of the first question, sorry? Yeah, can, yeah. can a story change someone's life? Yeah. Change, yeah. Yeah, well, that is difficult because the question, the first question is, can a person consciously change their life at all? which on the surface seems possible. I mean, if you don't want the job that you're in, you can walk away from it. But the, so in that sense, we can change. But in the sense of my nature and my tendencies and my habits and what I might be genetically predisposed to, can I change those things? So it does depend on what what change you're talking about. Um, I think that... Uh, human uh, history is personally, so this is my personal view. I think that various human cultures and human history itself is undeniable proof that stories change people, undeniable. I think that um, why are people in, why are people in ancient um Egypt wearing this, where people in, you know, Shogun Japan are wearing that. 
like that's proof that stories change people to me that doesn't just spring up out of nothing and that's on a very um that's like quite a material perspective on it um literally materials of clothing <laughs> i <laughs> i um but i i think that um it's positive it's positive and it's negative but it does require it does and it can be conscious and subconscious and it can be individual and it can be social and it's it can be linked very much to what people feel is per permitted for them so um the capacity of certain information to have an effect on you might be to how much um freedom you feel to follow that line of thinking that can come into it as well um which verges more on that's more of a political perspective but in short yes i do and um i don't uh i i think yes i yes i do think that but stuff does get in the way of it so even just the film the feature film that i'm working on now which the screenplay which I hope to, which you mentioned earlier, which I hope within the next few years to produce, not independently, but as a fully resourced project. The problem with that is that film is so expensive, requires so many stakeholders, all of them have to have a financial return in the system that we're in. So um, uh, even a cinema, you pay for to have your film distributed and the cinema needs to, if you're wanting to distribute it in a cinema, the cinema needs to have certainty that enough people will buy tickets to so all of those things can also be a drawback on accessibility to to um story at that level so there's so many drawbacks but yes story story um story changes lives and can be used to change lives in ethical and unethical ways what just what just came to me was interesting at the very start of the conversation, your your perspective on wisdom was really beautiful. It was it was like a, a deep a deep listening. Do you think? I guess kind of to tie tie those elements in. Do you think if if someone deeply listens, you know, beyond political, beyond whatever obstacles they have in their mind, to a story? Or it could be of wisdom or what have you. Do you think, like, is, is that transformation? Is that change? What, like, wisdom and stories? They kind of could. Could you speak to that? I'm not really like. I'm. Yeah. Do you see see where I'm going with this one? Yeah. Yeah. I feel the. I feel the thread that that that's really insightful. I think that change doesn't happen overnight. So you have you would have for sure jacob you would have a memory of at least one memory of something that someone said to you or uh, something you saw someone doing that you remember really distinctly and that potentially you think about every now and then as triggered by something you would have a memory like this right yes 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 i i do as well i have many of those one example of that for me is at the end of the end of high school, I um, I was my and I still keep in touch with this English teacher quite 
go for coffee pretty pretty um like semi-regularly but I told her what degree I was thinking about doing and I at that point had been very swept up in um the fact that yeah I mean I could go on a tangent but I told her what degree I was doing and she looked at me with a squint and said I know exactly where it was I could walk you to the exact location where this happened. And she looked at me with a squint and said, and I used to impersonate her as well in, um, in, uh, with her consent, but I would impersonate her at various school events. Um, she, she was very good about it. She looked at me with a squint and went, Marcus, that's not you. And I... And I was so struck by hearing that. I thought, I thought, excuse me, how do you know? <laughs> and also that was very threatening because I was making a decision about a particular double degree based on the fact that I was academically very well performing. And at the time, I didn't think that was important to me. I never spoke about it. I never wore the badge. I never wanted to participate. But now I think back on it and I, and I realized, dude, that was so important to me. It was so important that I always maintain that particular level of academic achievement and um, then at the end of year 12 the end of senior year of high school and you're picking what degree you want to do you I fell victim to the well I have to pick a degree that um, makes all of this worthwhile and the one that I picked half of the will do the half of the degree that I picked that Maria or that my teacher um, thought was not me, I dropped in a semester, but I was so confident that it, I was so confident that it was. And, and she said that, did it produce an immediate change? No, but did it work? It did. And now I think it's very, very possible for people to understand you more than you understand yourself in a, in a, in a um, it's possible that someone who's close to you can see something about you that you can't see, right? So that's a lesson that I learned through her. And I, um, so in that way, I think that, um, that the deep, but I, and, but I really did, like, I really did listen to her when she said that. Because how could you, that's something that, and that deep listening can lead to change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, I mean, that example just sprung up at, out of the blue and I, um, and I, like, I wanted to share it, but I think that deep listening is also, um, uh, it's also hard because when you really, when you really listen without judgment, you can be presented you can be presented with things that can be threatening to you and can destabilize your opinions. And I think that we live in a time where opinion is really closely linked to identity. People let people, for our culture on one hand is very, oh, individuals should be able to do whatever they want and how beautiful that is. But on the other hand, where we obsess over labels and we obsess over introducing ourselves with labels. And that's a very um, limiting thing. And that contradiction to me, is just interesting. I see it all the time. 
um, I saw it chronically through every stage of uh, tertiary education um, and now increasingly in the workplace, which is peculiar to me. But I, um, I think that I think that when our when our identities are so linked to our opinions and there's such division that happens as a result of that, that active listening to people who you don't necessarily think that you like or think that you could like because they have that opinion. So therefore they're cancelled to me. I think that active and deep listening can... Um, people can actually present them, prevent themselves from doing it and prevent themselves from changing and being open to change. Um, yeah. So I think that there's, it's a bit of a seesaw at the moment of, yeah, that's not, a, that's not the most sophisticated, that I, that, I still have to think about that thought a little bit more. No, to, but, be, yeah. to be honest, that is such a rich explanation of, of, um, of kind of the challenges of, of change and and influence um like like a lot of the time in, in my work with with you know coaching and and kind of you know spirit and personal development psychology a lot of the time i think the only thing we're really doing is stripping away opinion stripping away belief because there's 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 um there's a richness behind the thinking mind. And if you go to that richness, it, it has, so, it's so much, it's, it's everything. It, it connects. It's, it's the space of listening. It's the space of wisdom. And so what you're saying really resonates with me. And I find it so fascinating that like an identity or a label like that, that we, that humans that we just hold on to, can block us off from truth that is that is a a really exciting inquiry for me mm. Mm. what a beautiful way to articulate it back um echo it back to me and um in a far clearer way <laughs> in a far clearer way um you're doing i mean you're doing a philosophy degree which is um very inspiring to me your, I heard, I can't remember, I really can't remember who said this, but um, I heard a couple of weeks ago and it blew my mind that a PhD, so not necessarily in your field, but a PhD in literature or in whatever it is in cardiovascular health, a PhD is a doctorate in philosophy. So it is a, um, it is a, artifact of thinking and of how to and of how to think and of um uh trying to innovate new ways of thinking and and i think that people um i think that people disassociate pretty much everything from philosophy that's not philosophy i and that's a very label thing too. It's like, oh, no, no, I'm studying this. Or, oh, no, I'm working as that. But they don't actually stop to think that maybe, hold on, what is the way in which I'm going about this? And I think that just from an outsider perspective and a very outsider perspective of, oh, that's a philosopher that I haven't heard before. Let me just see if the School of Life has any um, has any little video <laughs> explainer on Kierkegaard, Kierkegaard or something. Like I, so as a very, as an outsider, 
um, I think that the study of the study of philosophy can be very good for no, I don't need to necessarily identify with that and pin my identity onto it because there's so many competing. You think about there, there are so many competing um, interpretations of life among philosophers. Mm. So it's, um, yeah, but we also, we also, um, this is a, this is something that I've, I just feel a little bit more and more and especially in my field and I don't know what my relationship is to it, but we also, we're, what is demanded of us is that we're specialists in an area um, in order to be successful. So like a plumber has to be really good at plumbing and all of his or her time goes into plumbing. And then as a result of that, how much time are they able to spend in um, trying to figure out uh, in in how to critically read the news or something something like this, and the um, the pressure on all of us to be specialists in an area, um, yeah, can just further entrench the no, I'm this, and that's not my area, so I'll just listen to whatever they're saying or ignore whatever this area is and just stick with mine. Um, I think that, yeah, economy, the economy kind of forces that on, forces that on people. Mm. Mark, you said, it's kind of now, I want to ask it in kind of a different direction, but very similar. Um, Steer it. Yeah, okay, cool. There's yeah. a, there's a there, say there's a creator out there and they, they want to create, they want to get out into the world and get their stuff out there but they're afraid they're fearful of judgment and they're maybe afraid they're not good enough or anything like that from your perspective how does that individual get out there and get creating in the world what does it take to create and a beautiful empowering question <laughs> um well first of all first of all it takes um it takes a combination of it takes a little bit of a little bit of bravery because you have to think that you're you're you have to be brave enough to think that it's worthwhile for you to do this and that you can bring something worthwhile to it and that could just honestly that could just be that it's fun doing it that you have fun while you're doing it um it could be that it's a little bit of luck luck as in do I have depending on what the area is but the luck of do I have accessibility to this um also the luck of the family that I was born into what work ethic have they given me um what uh am do I have the luck of being surrounded by teachers who aren't necessarily high school teachers but people who can identify in me identify in me and then um, repeat back to me, you know, you're, you know, you have a real aptitude in this area and it's possible for you to spend time exploring it. Like the luck of being around people who actually make that apparent. That's a huge thing. So all of these things are, I think, make what you're asking easier, but ultimately, um, 
And there's an assumption in what you're asking, which is that somebody wants to get their work out there, which um, is a fine assumption to make, but it's also possible that someone is just very happy doing something for themselves. And that's fine. That's fine also. Um, but in, in, if the person wants to get their work out and feels, compo feels compelled to do that, but also potentially, as you say, might feel afraid of judgment or not knowing how to start. Um, I think that, wait, hold on. Can we pause? My dog is inside and I think he wants to go out. No, it's all good. All good. Yeah, pause on, there pause. for one. Cool. Thanks. Just had to take the dog out. <laughs> um, anything that is, the work is constantly evolving. You're constantly getting better at whatever it is that you're doing. So if I get in my head about what I put out into the world has to be perfect, that's good because it means that I'm striving for the best it can be. But if that's so crippling that I never put anything out, I'm never going to have the benefit of other people's opinions. And some people might not be able to, some people express their opinion, some people express feedback in a very unhelpful way. Um, I think that there are certain environments where feedback is just not great. So for example, the co a comment thread on a post on a social media page is pretty much, um, it, for me, is completely redundant um, and will never yield useful feedback because it's so impersonal. I think fear of hearing what other people have to say about your work is can be crippling. Um, and you want the um, you want to test. That's kind of the role. The that's what conversation is. I say an idea. You, I, my idea is tested by you. You reply. I take what you say. Form. I, I, I ping pong it back. It's like I. It's a game of tennis. It's a game of tennis. I can't be afraid to hit the ball to you because you might hit the ball back. That's the whole point. So I would say to somebody who's afraid of getting the work out there, the whole point is for for you to get the for you to get the reply. Um, that's the get, that's the offer and yield. That's the process. Um, but you have to do it in good faith. You have to understand, try to understand. And this is the whole thing about self-inquiry and creative writing. I think is connected. Well, why do I, if, if I'm, if I write music or if I, or if I paint, whatever it is that I do, I mean, they're very stereotypical creativities, but, um, do I really want to share this with the world? Why do I want to share it with the world? Do I think it's beautiful? Do I think it's saying something? Do I think that no one else is doing this? Do I, so any of those questions, I think that if, if somebody can answer that question, then they're probably going to be more brave about the presentation of their work as well. I, I, that, that is, that's a nugget of gold right there. Because mm. uh, I think uh, you really broke my mind when you said they may not want to share it. And Jacob's mind was like, what? <laughs> yeah yeah that that really fascinates me that can i can i yeah. jump in i sorry, no sorry. jump in jump in no yeah you, so i was getting my hair cut a couple like a couple of months ago and 
the um the hairdresser he um as a little side comment amazing but he um he has i think i i'm pretty sure he said he has nine siblings or some something around that number and they're all full they're all fully each other's siblings they know there's no half siblings but the age range the eldest is in the youngest is four and the eldest i think is 36 and so there's an enormous age range and the the eldest's child is older than the four-year-old so you have a rare situation where the uncle is younger than the nephew <laughs> and i just thought that that's worth sharing because that's amazing but hey we got into the topic of we we were just speaking with each other about whatever and he we got into the topic of drawing oh uh, because he has a tattoo that he designed he showed me his art that he makes that he draws and um he hadn't really shown anyone the drawings for quite a while and all through school never wanted he said he never wanted anyone to see his drawings he always hated showing the drawings to teachers and this guy is a really really good draftsman like he can draw he, he um I, and i asked him i said you know not everyone is like that you know some people are obsessed with showing their work all the time some people think that their work is um god's gift to humanity and are, and think that they're the greatest some people don't really think anything of it so it's interesting that you were always afraid of showing your work and why you hesitated to show me it now like it's interesting to think about why that might be and he really he stopped and he thought he 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 had never thought about that before and um at one point i had never thought about that before either um but it's it's a it's a real thing it's a th it's like how much of yourself how much of yourself do you pour into what you're doing is there any is there any like the emotion that you feel subconsciously when you're i don't know whatever when you're making your sculpture is that an emotion that you might be afraid to speak about with people like these there's a lot there's so much that there's so much here you pull one thread you pull one thread and it just keeps just keeps unraveling it's like the clowns coming out of the little car the little car is passion and creativity and they just keep on clowns keep on walking out of it <laughs> like, i think how many more clowns can come out of this car that's awesome marcus why would someone want to share their work like what how how does yeah like what are the what are the benefits mm. Like, you know, why, what, what is that force that gifts earth with the art that we have today, that we can see today? Mm. Yeah. Well, I think that, like I said before, um, I have a spiritual and religious life. Um, and we have similar upbringings in that regard, but I think that this question can be answered very robustly, whether you're religious or not. Um, there are many answers, I think, but I, um, 
I have a strong memory of being a high school student at Taronga Zoo on an excursion and seeing, wandering off from the group because I wanted to spend more time at the chimp enclosure. And there was a chimp that was lying on um, a mat, having a great time rolling around on the mat. And there was another chimp that was nearby. I'm not making this up just staring at the chimp on this mat. And there was uh, um, about, I was just watching them because I thought it was really interesting that I, the gaze of this chimp. Then there was like these, these chimps, they had a, um, on the other side of the enclosure, there was a big fight and all of the chimps ran over, all of the chimps ran over, which was very much like the beef in a footy match. <laughs> it really felt like that. And they were pulling at each other and get back and back. And the one that the chimp that was on the mat jumped up and ran to see what the um, commotion was about. And the chimp that had been staring at the mat walked over to it, picked the mat up and threw it into the ravine between <laughs> the little gully between where we stand and where the chimps are. And so the chimp that was having the great time on the mat comes back and looks around for the mat and can't find it. And then looks at the chimp that threw it and knew what had happened <laughs> and ran at that chimp. And then they had a, they had a fight and the other, ch the chimp kind of ran up into a tree and was just taunting. And that level of communication was really eye-opening for me because there's so much, there's so much there. There's, there's, well, clearly chimps are communicating in a way that they understand each other's meaning. They're intelligent enough to play practical jokes, which is an extreme extreme form of intelligence because that requires someone to distinct that requires a life form to distinguish between serious and non-serious they um uh they uh yeah i mean there's a lot there, there's a there was a lot of amazing stuff there that quite that moved me actually and i think that the chimp that threw the mat into the gully just wanted to get a reaction, <laughs> right? The chimp just wanted to get a reaction, just wanted to do something that would. And I think at a really, really basic level, I think that putting your work into the world is craving reaction. It's an action that demands a reaction. And that process can be healthy. It can be beneficial. It can be fraught. It can be destructive, but ultimately, I think that's what it is. Mm. Whoa, man, that was cool. <laughs> yeah, like I, I really, really identify with that chimp with both of them. They're like the ain't. They're like the two kind of halves. There's the the half that feels slight because what's that chimp going to do now? That chimp is not. They've now entered a cycle of exchange with each other. And the actions and reactions are going to keep going on. So I, I think that creativity and putting things in, into the world, it's a feedback loop. Mm. No, it's a feedback loop. You, you um, in so many ways. Yeah. That's awesome because it's like there's a desire to imprint or push or influence something as an influence on the world, whatever yes. that may be. Yes. Yes.
Yeah, fully wow. imprint is big. I like that. That's phenomenal. I I was I was I was thinking, where is Marcus going? Like, will the will the monkey like the chimp create like an artwork or something like that? But that was that was just a, an absolute joyride of story. <laughs> that was, yeah, was so fun to be there. <laughs> well, it was. It was. It was fun to watch. It was fun to witness. I'll never forget that. And it was like a performance. It was also. It was also for me this chimp that's thrown this mat for no reason whatsoever into the gully. I mean, maybe they have some pre-existing issues with each other, but this, this chimp, I really think that this chimp is aware it's being observed by humans. I think it's aware of our observation of it. And that itself is interesting for creativity. Like if you're, what are you putting out into the world? Because now people expect you to is, is also interesting to me oh yeah that's big yeah so that's another thing do you know any do you like frank ocean the singer yeah yeah, i I, I do like some of his stuff it's pretty cool yeah yeah he i think his voice is um i just think his voice is sublime and if i could if i could sing like someone his i would love to be able to sing with that there are uh there's like a whole list of singers that i wish if i could sing um, and they're sort of a type, D'Angelo and Anthony Hamilton, and um, they're 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 soul, they have soulful roots. But his um, uh, his, I just I remember he had a concert that he cancelled because he wasn't totally um, convinced of his vocal strength in the lead up to the concert and didn't want to and people I remember people were devastated and pissed off and angry that he cancelled it and um and people saying um he'll release a single and people say oh where is the album bring out the album bring out the album and there's there's also there's once the person has started once the person is identified with creating then there's also this expectation that goes along with that goes along with it like you always have to be giving us stuff you always like where's your next stuff that that i think also comes into it so about why people want to create that's that's, that's very powerful because what you've opened up there is that there is that aspect of of the influence and the expectation feeding back inwards but then for the individual that is creating it, it seems as though something inside them takes more precedent over what is outside what is i guess what is that for you like what is like what is that what's that all that about you know <laughs> the thing that um, yeah what a great question well i know um I know I've always been pretty obsessed with my grandparents' lives and the idea that, also just the idea that people you know who are older than you were on this earth before you were. Like when I remind myself that my mum, for example, at one point was 16 years old and that was a long time before I was a thing. And at one point, my great, great, great 
great grandmother was um, 21 and was doing something. Like if I wind the clock back far enough and I leap there, what were they actually doing? So I, this is an idea that just enthralls me. And I think that for me, I can answer this very personally. For me, writing is a way to live out that obsession and construct it. So um, actually that same teacher who said, that's not you about the degree. Uh, years after school, one of the first major projects that I wrote after high school was a novelized, fictionalized version. So like you could call it a nonfiction novel in the manner of In Cold Blood, Truman Capote, like that type of drawing off interviews, um, drawing off fact to and write it, writing it in a fictional way. Um, I wrote a fictionalized version of my maternal grandmother's life as a novel. And um, that, that for me is a higher thing than the, than the creating itself. Like it was, I felt very called to try and understand the radical Jacob, the radical, radically difficult life that my maternal grandmother had trying to understand, tr navigating it while writing was very um, therapeutic. Um, it, I mean, she had also just passed away. So this is something that writing for me is also associated with grief. The first time I wrote something was in the aftermath of my grandfather dying. And it was like fan fiction, for my favorite show on TV. And that was, so it was very escapist and I could create something and I had power and control over something. So, but it was also a way of dealing with grief. So, so um, it could be different for different people, but there's a higher thing for me that in writing, and that is literally dealing with loss and grief um, and working that stuff out um, and processing emotions that way. So, and I've only really figured that out in the last couple of years as a result of reflections that I had to do as part of my degree. Um, that I took very seriously, that not everyone did, but I spent a lot of time with. So that, yeah, there's a lot of, um, I think someone, is it possible that someone is deeply in love with someone else? And that is the reason they're making music because they're, they're, um, they're so energized by their romantic love for someone. Um, is it possible that um, yeah, I mean, there's different motivations. I think your question was more about like the motivation behind, um, motivations behind creativity or, or is there something else in your question that you're, you're also, also came up for you? No, I think you're, you're speaking very nicely towards what, what is inside a human that will possess them to create. Cause it is an act of love, I think. It's an act of, I heard the, I heard love is, um, we can love so many things. Like I love trees, but that's different to how I love my dog. Um, the, the, just the idea that love is attention. Creating the act of, um, uh, the, the, the act of creating also from a religious perspective, 
is so um well it is the closest thing to a divinity that i think a human can do and that itself to me is beautiful because the divinity is divine because it can create from nothing so create so a human creating something from nothing i mean we synthesize but to create something from those from nothings all those inputs like you for example creating this podcast who has influenced you to create your own new thing that is that is the closest that we can get to it that we can get to the divinity um and that itself i think is something under the something that's very deep in humans like it's a very deep um consciousness of wow the power of making something that wasn't there before yeah for its own sake sometimes so big so big it's kind of like a, a spiritual act and there's something you said there about love being attention and and how it was so interesting we do we do these things for love we create for love we give a give attention uh, that's and then yeah just this is so mint <laughs> don't you think yeah don't you think that the um on a on a on a pragmatic level that it does make sense that that does make sense there are things in your personality and things in my personality and or just for me if i real if i know that there's something that i haven't done in any one week that i have the intention to have done for myself and i get annoyed about that that's because that's because i have not given that thing attention and in a way i'm disregard like in a way i'm disregarding it and that is um but it was my intention to not disregard it so even on that level i think that you could say that love being attention is really observable that's um and it's powerful because it it kind of the solution to your your you know procrastination which we were talking about way before this it yeah. is love is giving it love the answer is love and attention so just more love more love in creation a more desire love to put your stuff out into the world to give more love yeah yeah that's um and it's hard it's hard and it's tiring and exhausting but i think ultimately i really think that putting out love is energy generating sustainably energy generating where putting out irritation and hatred um is is often the consequence of a lot of pain but is not sustainably energy generating mm. that's beautiful man wow marcus um final words what's on your heart what would you like to just get out into the world like what what love would you like to put out to the world on your on your final words <laughs> or you, what you just said jacob was like was beautiful so i want to sit with that you know i want to um i i'm taking that away as a real mantra what you just described um but on my i think if 
I, yeah, I have it. Um, I would focus, I really want to focus in very, very narrowly. All I would like to say is that to whoever is listening to this, you're probably listening to this because you're interested in questions like why and how rather than questions like what and where and when and and I really want to um, uh, congratulate you for being interested in that because I observe and and am frankly alarmed by the extent to which our desire for why and how answers can be crushed by various elements in society. So for whoever, to whoever is listening to this, if you're just, if you're interested in time that's not immediately productive, where you're thinking or where you're just open to curiosities about the world, then you are the type of leaders that the world needs. So you're, um, and by extension, thank you for, giving deep thinking Jacob a platform um, and for carrying that energy into your conversations with other people, carry, carry energy into conversations with other people. That's how we've like, it's how we um, form. Just thanks is what I would in a word. Wow. Thank you, Marcus. Um, That was just a phenomenal, phenomenal, deep, riveting conversation. I feel transformed after it. I do. I honestly do. And thank you very much. Thank your your um, conversation requires good conversation requires a safe, but also um, uh, a brave container you know you have to, you're both in the container and you're both you're both pushing it and it's very cooperative this has been very very cooperative I, I i also feel very um uh yeah i you're i feel similar i feel similar but you're you can you create a very good container um and that that is itself a huge skill Thank you, Marcus. I'm going to take the recording off. And thank you to all of you who have listened thus far. Um, bless you. And we will talk to you soon. <laughs> yo, yo, you're with MC Bulas and his... Thank you, everyone. Thank, thank you, Jacob. MK, let's go.